on the next episode of Sip Suds and Smokes. This is one of our chats episodes. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, this is where we're going to get to know the manufacturers and the faces behind the cigars that you like to smoke. Or maybe you don't like to smoke because you've never had them. Broadcasting from today, Smokers Abbey in East Nashville. Uh, shout out to them for hosting. We were going to do this in my basement and then, you know, I decided this might be a little cleaner. With me today is Kevin Newman from Artista Cigars. Is it El Artista Cigars or is it Artista Cigars? We dropped the L. It's That's just Artista. Anyway, we're going to talk about some fun things and topics, get you to know, and we're blind tasting him on a cigar right now that I'm smoking as well with him. And um, we're going to reveal that at the end where he doesn't know what it is. We'll be right back after this break. Almost live from the dude in the basement studios. Why? Because that's where the good stuff is. It sips, suds, and smokes with your smoking host, the good old boys. Get ready to learn everything you ever wanted to know and a whole lot that you didn't. It's time for a chat episode. Hey man, I'm good old boy Barger and with me today is Kevin Newman from Artista Cigars. Is it El Artista Cigars or is it Artista Cigars? We dropped the L. It's That's just Artista. Thought. Last time I said that to Nathan, he was like, it's actually El Artista. And I was like, shut up, Nathan. Box has Artista. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not wrong. Well, no, he's not wrong, but he's not right either. That's correct. So, I win. The gringos can say El Artista for the most part. That's right. So. That's like El Nino, you know? Right. Spanish for the Nino. El Nino. <laughs> I'm El Nino. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, listen, for our listeners, this is one of our chats episodes. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, this is where we're going to get to know the manufacturers and the faces behind the cigars that you like to smoke. Or maybe you don't like to smoke because you've never had them. Anyway, we're going to talk about some fun things and topics, get you to know, and we're blind tasting him on a cigar right now that I'm smoking as well with him. And um, we're going to reveal that at the end where he doesn't know what it is. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, Well, as you mentioned at the top, my name is Kevin Newman. I'm vice president of Artista Cigars. Um, Where are they based out of? Dominican Republic. Okay. Just happened to be the largest tobacco leaf grower in the DR. Okay. Yeah. I've been doing about 70 years. Not me personally. but Yeah. I knew you were getting up there in age, but yeah, man, well, Lord. Can you imagine? So, who, what, so you guys are farm, aging, rolling, everything in-house? Yeah. Vertically integrated from soil all, all the way out to shelf. Yeah. Okay. And what region are you guys in? Well, we have 120 farms across two continents. Okay. So it's pretty big. Yeah, DR and Ecuador. Okay. Well, cool, man. Well, cool. So, t- 
tell us a little bit about on a where did you find your love for cigars? What started you on this journey? It's kind of wild, actually. Um, so when I was in college, um, I didn't do any drugs. I didn't really drink, but just I was a pretty clean kid. But I got an interest in tobacco, but I didn't want to smoke cigarettes. Yeah. So I was over at the Chevron down by my house, and I saw a pack of what looked like very good cigars called Swisher Sweets. Oh, yeah, what hot. Dip. Yeah, buddy. So I lit those up, and they were all right, but my lips kept getting all numb and full of tar. And um, at the time, I was washing cars for a living. That's what I was doing through college. All right. And one of my clients, and they all happened to be like really high-end folk. You know, they were, I wouldn't say they're rich, but they're just, they're just driving really nice cars. And one of the guys saw me smoking a Swisher, and he goes, you got to put that down. I'm like, oh, you don't want me around your car with it? He says, no, uh-huh. no, that's not it at all. That's not very good. I see that you're smoking cigar, but let's get you a real cigar. Yeah. So he got me a couple really nice cigars, which was nice, but I didn't really know what they were. And ultimately, what they were were Upman's. Okay. From Cuba. Ooh, H. Upman, man. I love H. Upman's. I didn't know what I had in my hand. Man. Yeah. So, again, keep smoking these cigars. And I continued to smoke for about 10 years and didn't know much about the business. You know, I'd read the Cigar Aficionado every once in a while when I'd be at the dentist or the doctor's office. And I was out of work because, you know, the economy fell apart in 2009. And I was looking for a job. And a job posting came up for Phillips and King and Creed Tech. Okay. And they just happen to be the largest wholesale distributor of tobacco products in the U.S. And they're 15 miles from my house. Wow. Yeah. That's how I got into the industry, man. Dang. And then it's just been uphill ever since, huh? Well, I mean, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing. Um, the industry kind of mimics the people that work in it. Sure. I think that's true in almost any industry you're in. Um, the Latino culture is very open very welcoming yeah. very warm uh sit down have a cup of coffee have a chat yeah i was just at a latino christmas party last night and you know me and my wife and there was another couple there was another two or three couples that were were non-latino and it was just so funny listening to all of them talk and you want empanadas you want this you want this i'm like yeah i'll eat yeah, all yeah, that yeah exactly. like, let's go i'm down so that was pretty fun i felt very welcomed into an industry that i didn't know much about other than that i enjoyed it yeah. And I think that love of it was spoke volumes to the people that were running the things, all so the factories. What, so what did what was it that made you latch on and say this is my ticket? This is what I love. Cuz like you said it was just a hobby until you got into yeah. the job and then the money's the obvious. I'm sure you get paid well to do what you want to do. But the thing is is what you know aside from being paid or not paid what was it about the culture and the 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 all around people that that you fell in love with what what made you fall in love with it it instantly became a family for me um i come from kind of a messed up background familial sure like family wise um, my folks tried real hard to make sure everything felt normal, but it just wasn't around my house. 
So when I walked into this industry, it felt like home to me. Um, it wasn't a particular group of people that did that. It was the whole thing uh, from the sales guys to marketing, to the factories, to everybody. Yeah. It just felt like I was being embraced in a way that I wasn't in my previous career. Yeah. I started out in finance, which is like, you know, a cold embrace. Sure. Sure. This was, it was totally different. And the money's not great. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not like we're all getting no, a for sure. But there's something more than money when you're in a, a career. Yeah. And that longevity, the thing that keeps you coming back, mm-hmm. usually isn't the dollar. Right. Right. It's, it's the relationships. It's the relationships, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's important, too. You know, that's almost the most important part is the relationships. And I think that, you know, without the relationships that we've had with our podcast, like, we wouldn't be where we are. You know, we try to take care of people and we try to be honest with, with people. And I think the honesty goes a long way. Like, I'm not just going to give you some rating and tell you that, oh, your cigar is great just because I want a cigar. No, I'll go buy a cigar. You know, I, I enjoy your cigars because I enjoy you as a person. Like, I enjoy you as, like, it, 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 I don't even have to like the cigar, you know, because you could find something about any cigar that you like and you can find something about any cigar that you don't like. And then, you know, we all know taste is subjective. So it's it's interesting to me just how relational this business is. And it's almost, aside from product, it's 85%, in my opinion, relational. 100%. I agree with you on that. I mean, we met each other just last year. Yeah. For the first time, you're sitting down in our booth. Yeah. I mean, we're busy at PCA, but I'm not too busy to sit down and talk with somebody. Right. It doesn't matter who you are, yeah. right? And how long did we talk for? Like 45 minutes, an hour? we sat there for like an hour drinking rum and talking. Just talked about video games, cars. We talked a little bit about cigars, but that was kind of an afterthought. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, and that was, that was awesome. And that's kind of what made me that, you know, that's one of the, I had been smoking the, the Buffalo Tan and a couple others, like the Paper Boys before the PCA, you know, those were cigars that I smoked that you guys manufacture um, beforehand. So I didn't know you guys from Adam though. And when I came in, it was just like, hey, man, I love this. Like, we did a thing on this. And once it was, you know, got to talking to you guys, and you guys were, like, just down to earth. You know, especially uh, Ram, is it? That you're, yeah, Ram. Is it, uh, how do you pronounce it? It's Rodimus, but we call him Ram. Ram, okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. Super chill dude, man. You, like, you got me to sit down and talk with him for an hour or two. Yeah. And that dude is just all about video games. <laughs> I love it. I can't Super wait. Super Smash Bros. Dude, dog. I can't wait to go down there mm-hmm. and just like get on in some Smash Brothers because I'm terrible at it. If I bring my son with me, though, he might put up a fight. <laughs> you know, it's trickery. That's right. That's right. So um, I'm going to be reading some questions here. Not super enjoyable questions, but uh, wonderful. My One of my main questions is. With all the stress and all the things that are in the industry, where do you find joy? This right here, man. I mean, not to kiss your butt or no, blow smoke, no, no, but sure. literally this. I mean, I came down, I landed in Nashville, what, Sunday? Yeah. Okay. Uh, about a week ago. And I've been in Nashville and Dixon, and then I went down to Tupelo, Mississippi, yeah. Starkville. I've been all over. And it's a grind. I mean, these are 12 hour days. Yeah. Um, but it's the shaking the hands, hearing the stories, 
talking with people. Yeah. That's where I find the joy, man. Um, last night I met a kid from Morocco. He's oh, a PhD sweet. candidate over at MSU. Okay, Murray State? Yeah. Mississippi State. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's all right, man. I went to Murray State. Yeah. Sadly. And he's living the American dream. He got here in 2019, and he's about to graduate with a, a PhD in aerospace engineering. That's cool. That's very cool. And he wants to live in the United States, stay <laughs> here, and do, do work for the U.S. Really? To help us do great work. I wouldn't have known that kid if it wasn't for the cigar industry. Yeah. We weren't talking about cigars. We were talking about him. That's awesome. That's what gives me joy, man. I love the stories. Yeah. You know? No, I, I find the same. I find the very same thing all the time. Um, we're going to take a quick break here just shortly. Have a word from a sponsor or maybe a word from me. You never know what's going to pop up. Uh, anyway, you guys enjoy and we'll be right back. And we're back with two bros, one stick. I mean, a chats episode. Thank you for uh, returning with us. Sitting with me is Kevin Newman from Artista Cigars. So tell me something interesting about yourself. Tell me something I don't know. I grew up in a restaurant. Uh, I started my you first- You lived in the restaurant? Well, pretty much. I mean, like, my bed, my bed was, was about seven miles away. It's like a Steve Martin jerk yeah. kind of thing? Yeah, He hates kinda. cans. Right. He hates huh? these cans. <laughs> um, no, I grew up in a restaurant and- uh, from about the age of eight to 18, I assisted my folks in our family restaurant. That's how we made money. And I learned how to wash dishes real well. But one thing I did that was kind of cool is I, I helped my dad Sunday mornings do yeah. all the prep cook. Okay. For the week? Well, more like for the afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Veggies and whatnot. Yeah. Eggs, veggies, the whole thing. So sure, sure. You know, get up at, at five in the morning, get to the uh, restaurant by seven. Everything's fired up by 730 the doors open cook it away and just do it yeah and from that base um i've become a pretty good cook yeah yeah it actually helps me in the cigar industry to be honest with you really yeah so when we're in the blending room it, i kind of think of like okay this is the salt okay this is the garlic and here's our mirepoix over here in the corner and okay put this together words. and you know what a mirepoix is? no really no okay it's french oh we yeah, it's got it's a combination of three vegetables. There's different types of mirepoix, but you've got a, a celery, you've got a carrot, and you got an onion. Okay. You put that together, and that's a mirepoix, and that'll be your base for like a soup or okay. a stew or some sort of sauce. Yeah. Okay. Well, I learned something new today. So Thanks. that's something about me, man. I, I love to cook, and I really, really do enjoy it. I got photos on my phone. It's kind of like my... Yeah. You know, some guys got pictures of feet like you do. Um, well, I mean, you weren't supposed to say that out loud. Oh, man. You can edit that out, right? Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> Banned once again. That's right. Hashtag feet finders. What? Mm -hmm. Well. <laughs> we'll take them advertisement dollars, though. <laughs> so let me ask. <laughs> so let, let me ask you something here. <laughs> if you give me your top five cigars. Top five. Top five. Oh my gosh. So most guys have a top five. Like they're stable of cigars that they smoke all the time. I smoke everything. That's the thing. So 
I know you guys are going to keep this episode for a long time in your back catalog, and I apologize to the audience in advance. I don't. They'll figure it out. Well, right now, what I'm smoking, and I'm probably sure like a lot of your folks will be confused because I'm not going to mention Artista Cigars while I'm talking about these sure. other cigars. Because Artista Cigar is a good cigar, but it, it's just not what I'm rotating out sure. of my humidor. Thank you. Yeah. So it's because you sent them to my humidor. Yeah, I sent a lot of cigars everywhere. I will check that though. Probably in the top five, I'm going to put the uh, Pulita 60th Anniversario because it's actually really good. Really? Yeah, I'm smoking a lot of that. Okay, I don't think I've had that one yet. Yeah, I think I gave you a bundle of it. Then I will smoke that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't smoked it, but I will. This is actually my first cigar in two weeks. Mm. Yeah, that's right. You've not been. Uh, yeah, well. I got. Yeah. You know, I went to my family's place, or, or my family. My family lives in Kentucky. My wife's family lives in Oklahoma, so we went to Oklahoma and did Thanksgiving and Christmas over Thanksgiving. And they didn't let me know they were sick before we went, and so I got there and uh, was welcomed to bronchitis for Thanksgiving. Hooray! <laughs> Some guys get a turducken. That's right. <laughs> Some guys get turkey and dressing. You get bronchitis. That's right. <laughs> so what else? You got four more to go. Let's go. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're on a, if you could only smoke these cigars for the rest of your life, these are always the funniest questions. I, I get, know, man. I know. But come on, you got to have something. Marlboro Red, Camel Light. Yeah, Camel no. Light. <laughs> <laughs> Quit it! You're um, making me cough. So. I, I'm not going to order them because that doesn't make any oh, sense. You know, but I'm let's not just throw to this rank out them. Just put five in there. The Davidoff Colorado Claro. Oh, that's a great cigar. One of cigar. my favorite cigars, man. That thing ages really well. It's incredible. So I've had one. Um, a buddy of mine's the rep for Davidoff, and he's got a whole bunch of vintage Davidoff stuff that he's just saved over the years. And, uh, you know, he'll start bringing them out, and the cellophane's orange. Mm-hmm. And I've had one of them. It was more so, man. That puppy gets good with some age on it. Yeah. I wouldn't think that Davidoff to do that because of how mild they are in their flavor profile. But it's so interesting in how that flavor opens up. I've only had a couple of them that have been that vintage 10 years plus age in the cellophane that really just didn't have much flavor at all. But off the list of ones that I've had and the list of ones that I haven't had, you know, that the, the, the ones that didn't have any flavor were very like two out of 20, you know? So what else? Mm. I've been smoking a lot of charter Oak. Okay. Yeah. The now that's the from Maduro. foundation. That's right? from foundation. Yeah. That's a great yeah, cigar. It's incredible. Now they just released another version of it. That's uh like uh, double the price. Yeah, it's a little bit more upscale on yeah, the packaging. Yeah, they upscaled it on the packaging, and I don't know if they changed the blend or anything, but I haven't talked to them. I'd love to get them on, too. But that cigar is incredible, man. Yeah. Maduro. I've smoked, probably on this trip, I've smoked like six or seven of them. Mm. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, beyond that, One of the cigars I, sm- I smoked a lot when I was younger, when I started getting into cigars, was uh-huh. the Oyo de Monterey. Okay. The Connecticut, number yeah, two. Yeah, and the red band. Yeah, no. Or no, is this no, the no. yellow band? It's the yellow and the gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So okay. good. I did smoke one on this trip. 
wasn't as good as I remember, but that's not the cigar's fault. I've been I've smoked like thirty cigars on this trip. So yeah, yeah, thirty cigars in four days. That's great. That's good. It's been about seven it's a marathon. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't smoke in you the rental that, car. Right? You can edit that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got one more. Let's get one more. One more. Well, there's a cigar from a long time ago. Here it is. Project Eight Hundred Five. Okay. You ever smoked that cigar? No. There's probably about four people that listen to this podcast and know what I'm talking about. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good cigar. It had Anduyo in it. Are you familiar with Anduyo? Oh, it sounds French. It's not. Well, oh. maybe it is. I don't know, but it's Dominican. Like an Andouille sauce? For the, yeah, that's exactly the right. The, the tobacco looks, it's a six-foot-long Andouille. Oh, okay. You don't know about Andouille? No, man. Let's talk no. about it. Okay, let's talk about Andouille. I don't know everything about cigars. I'm just playing one well, on you got to get down to the DR. This is the problem. I'm, I'm down. All right? like, you're telling we're me. Gonna we're going to bring you to the it. factory and grab you by that red beard and just yep. drag you down just, there, man. You're going to lick it. Lick that leaf. Well, you could lick Anduyo because it's uh, chewing tobacco. Ooh, I love it. Let's go. Yeah. So what they do is they, it's, Anduyo isn't a tobacco as much as it is a process. And they grow these different types of species. One, the one that I used was Amarillo Parado. That's the species. Okay. And it's like kind of a long skinny leaf, almost looks like a banana. And they take that, you take it right off, they cure it, and then they throw it into a thing called a yagua. Okay. Which I think you're familiar with what a Yagua is. A bucket? Yeah. So Ish, it's a square tub that's long. Well, in this case, in this case, it's the um, palm husk, palm tree husk. Oh. Yeah. It's about six feet long. And they take all the tobacco and they lay it in there and they get it real wet. They hit, they hit it into boiling water to kill some of the, the fungus that might uh-huh. be on there. Yeah. And they wrap it with rope. I've got video of this. I could just send this to you. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah they wrap it with the hemp twine or whatever, the rope. Yeah, they wrap it up with the rope. Mm-hmm. And it just sits there and it ferments just like that. Yeah. That time and pressure cures that tobacco. It can be 12 months, 18 months, 24 months. Sure. But after it's done, they crack the yagua and they pull it out. And it's thick, oily, very rich tobacco. Okay. And they use it as chewing tobacco and pipe tobacco in the uh, DR. Hmm. Uh, we put it into a cigar a long time ago. Yeah, and called the 805? Project 805. Okay. It's a canceled project with another company, but it was a good cigar. I think you might have sent me some of those. I think I did, yeah. I need to look through my box. I've got so much stuff yeah. to go through. I have it was, so it was much. good. Yeah. It's strong. Yeah? Yeah. I, I kind of thought you'd throw that psycho on there. Mm, I always do that. Yeah? That's one thing I always say, yeah. The psycho? Yeah, I think people are tired of it by now. Uh, I think people are tired of it because they can't get them. Yeah. Well, you can still get them. I mean, they're still available. They're out there. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know what we're talking about, you want to enlighten them? Uh, well, it was, uh, to my understanding, it was a project that you did with a couple other guys um, in the early 2000s. And it was a seven leaf, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's good memory, man. Yeah, seven leaf cigar and uh, called the Psycho Seven. Yeah, and uh, it was it was uh, a hit with a lot of people, but not a hit enough with some people, and yeah. it didn't really take off like it should have. Well, we did sell a million cigars, oh, so well, that's a go. good deal. It just wasn't a hit with management. Oh, that's what it was. It man, didn't man. strike the uh, the rhythm that they yeah. were looking for with their 
<laughs> with their band. Didn't play the David's chord yeah, for them. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So they, uh, I, I don't think they've phased it out. You could still buy it. Candy's still buying Okay. It's just, they, it wasn't the, the style that they were looking for for that company. Yeah. Yeah. It was just loud cigar. It was a good cigar. It was a good cigar. It still is a good cigar. I mean, I still got <laughs> half a box at the house. It's a great cigar. Yeah. But well, I'm the K in Psycho. That's yeah. why we spelled it weird. That's right. That's right. Not to, uh, you know, not not about his mental stability anymore, but oh, and that that cigar yeah. was completely named for me, man. That's awesome. <laughs> so you had talk, said earlier you used to be a preacher. Yeah, so I dabbled in it. Um, I didn't grow up in a church. It's not like witchcraft, you know. Well, yeah, I guess yeah. it could be. If you dabble. Well, it depends. You, well, you get in some parts of the south, to, right? dog. I mean, they got snakes. Yeah, <laughs> 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 he were in Mississippi. <clears throat> um. So yeah. Um about 16 years old my buddy will still my best friend in the whole world uh still love you dan gary you're my best friend too bone um but will invited me to church the assemblies of god and um, i hit him i just said okay let's go and we started doing youth group and then i started coming to church on a regular basis yeah and uh leadership over there was like hey um let's give you a microphone and see how you can do horrible idea right the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I can only say that because I've been in those shoes as well. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. had the microphone before. Mm-hmm. It's like the wedding singer, you know, when he's like crying and he's like, I have the microphone, so you will listen to every damn word I have to say. <laughs> Do you really want to hurt me? Right. <laughs> Turns out I wasn't afraid of the microphone. Oh, no, yeah, you weren't. No, I actually kind of like it. So I went from kind of doing some Sunday school stuff uh, to full on preaching to 300 kids at Skate Street in Ventura, California. Well, Shout cool. out! Um, yeah, it was a, it was a fun ride. So, do you find that that in that lifestyle um, coincides with the cigar industry a little bit? Yeah, there's a lot of faith in the cigar industry. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> Um, <laughs> they living on it right there, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's definitely a following on both sides. And yeah. uh, there's some there's some diehards on both sides. Uh, but ultimately, it's, it's all about relationships, communication, and love. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to just simplify it, distill it down to its component parts. Yeah. That's what it is, man. Talking about distilling, huh? What, what, uh, what do you like to drink? <laughs> Uh, I'm going to break your heart right here. He is going to break my heart. Yeah. McAllen 18. All day, every day. Uh, yeah, so you bad. just tickled Mike's pink, but uh-huh. not, uh, I mean, I'll drink it if it's there. Yeah. I'll drink it if it's there, but it's not my forte. It's too peaty. Yeah. That's what I hear. A lot of guys who like the bourbon, they don't really like the peat, but I like that sting. Like the burn. Mike's yelling at me. He said, there's no pee here. But he doesn't know how sensitive I am. Yeah. Well, lately, and thanks to you, um, I've been drinking a lot of that E.H. Taylor. Mm, that's and a good one, man. The small batch the is small great. small batch, yeah. Did you open that single barrel? I, I can either confirm or oh, deny the now, existence of that single barrel. <laughs> well, was it good? It's always good. Oh, there you it's go. It's always good. Um, never really been a bourbon guy because out in California, it's kind of hard to find good bourbons. I can yeah. get you a tequila. I can get you 40 different types in yeah. about an hour. But out where I'm at, it's wine, tequila, and gray goose vodka. Um, 
But finding real good bourbons, even whiskeys, is tough unless yeah. you go to a you know a high end bottle shop and they're going to charge that high end price. Yeah, I can get that small batch for about a buck fifty, buck eighty a bottle, and I just didn't want to pay that. Yeah, that's um, way too much, man. Right, especially that's when you see the prices out the here. The markup, dude, is so insane. Mm, mm. <laughs> Are you going to stock up on some stuff here, take it home with you? Thought about it. So There's a pretty good it. shop down the street here, about a mile down the road on the left is uh, Main Street, Wine and Spirits. They have a, they just had their bourbon day, so hmm. they've got a whole bunch of bourbons from all over. We'll have to make a stop. Oh, it's on Tuesday? Oh, I was wrong, folks. It's on Tuesday. Um, but, you know, don't listen to me for the news. Because I'm going to let you down every time. Uh, but if you're still here on Tuesday, you can go sit outside and wait overnight with Just all the people and camp out. Get you a Pappy Van Winkle if you're first Wars. in line. You could, man. At retail, too. They retail everything on the Bourbon Day, which is actually pretty good. Their prices are, you know, for around here. So the you, problem that I have, and this is not a problem that I have found in the cigar industry yet, because. We all know the three-tier system, right? Everything's 100% markup three times. So by the time it goes from the manufacturer, it's 100% markup to the wholesale. And the wholesale is 100% markup or more to the retail. And then the retail has to mark it up to make a profit. So there's your three tiers right there. So the same is with the, with the alcohol industry is the same. And I know because I've worked in the alcohol industry. And I've delivered this alcohol, and I've seen the price of these Pappy Van Winkles from the, the wholesaler, and it's unreal how it's so cheap it is to the to the store itself. And then the store puts a fifteen hundred dollar, two thousand dollar price tag on it, and it's just like, guys, how can you do this? Like mentally, like get the product, push the product, get the product out. That would make more sense, right? And you could make some money, like obviously, but this whole 300, 400% markup game is just crazy, and I've never enjoyed it at all. So I actually, what I do for throughout the years now, I don't even chase bourbon anymore. I just chase store picks. So anytime I go to a store, when I travel around the country and when I travel around, I, I just go in and what store picks do you guys have? Is it Buffalo Trace store picks, the 1792 store picks, and a Jack Daniels barrel proof store pig, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a squire as well. So I look for Jack Daniels everywhere I go stuff that I can't find here. So, um, you know, we just try to try to just find the good deals. Cause a lot of times if you can find a good store pick in a good profile where you're at, some of these store picks outweigh these bottles that people chase all day long. And that's the thing. Like, you know, when you're talking about, you know, you love E.H. Taylor, like, I like E.H. Taylor okay, but it's not my jam, you know? And it's not something that I'm going to go and, and seek after. I'll buy it if it's available at retail. I wish to register a complaint. Yeah, yeah, I know. We all do. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I love just going and getting them store picks, man. I mean, do you guys get any good store picks out where, where you guys are at? Mm. A couple of plastic bottles of vodka every once in a oh, while. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, a little Grey Goose, some Hennessy yeah. maybe. No, no, nothing that nice. Oh, no? no. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Got the boot pipes. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there is. Um, I Like you, I just stop chasing, you know? Yeah. Like if I walk in and I'm, I go to a bottle shop, but all the good bottle shops out where I'm at, they've been kind of run out of town. You know, where I'm, I live in Ventura, California. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's a nice place. Yeah. 
But it, because it's a nice place, a lot of folks have been coming in, buying up all the land and kind of repurposing it. You don't say. Turning it into condos. Oh, yeah. They don't do that here at yeah, all. There was a great spot, like Old Spirit Club, no. where I was at. And it's gone now. Nashville man. used to be cool, too. Yeah. But we're going to take another break here. And then we're going to come back with Kevin Newman with Artistic Cigars and keep talking. Hope you're enjoying it, folks. So we're back with Kevin Newman from Artista Cigars, and we are blind tasting him on a, I think it's a really good cigar, and I haven't smoked in two weeks, and I still love this cigar. Um, well, what are your thoughts on this thing? Well, the first third I wasn't really impressed with, but that's probably not the cigar's fault, because like I said, I smoked a lot of cigars this week. Um, as it's opened up, the burn's gotten really good. It's starting to cone for me. Um I'm getting a little bit of the cedar, a little bit of citrus. Not a whole lot of spice, though. Yeah. Yeah, but it's good. What's well, on your retro? Let's, let's check it out. Yeah. Mahogany. Yeah. Yeah. A spice Mahogany. comes out a little bit more in that retro. Mahogany and leather. Um, if you can't tell, I'm a little nasally. Yeah. No, you're, you're nasally? No. Yeah. It's, it's that like big old your, schnoz, man. It's like that pug nose you got there. <laughs> I should see you looking for truffles. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Go get it, Kevin. Go get it. Oh, uh, yeah. It's the Frenchman in me, man. Uh, yeah. French Irish. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that the other day about yeah. your heritage and how we could be related. We probably are, man. We probably are, man. Yeah, that's family a, come from the same area. That's right. It's a small puddle it's of crazy, uh, man. You know, fluids. Mm hmm. So, uh, you know, well, oh yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Listen, I got a little, uh, a little, uh, coaching there from a little my boss executive there. producer action. Yeah. He's telling me, you know, keep talking. So we're going to keep talking. Um, what about this, your ring gauge on this? What do you think about your girth? My girth? It's always so sad, man. That's right. I got I to gotta spool it up just to get it in. That's fine. Um, on the cigar, it's a good cigar. It's a good size. Uh, I prefer a Corona size. See, I'm down. I'm the same, right. bro. Or like a Petite Lancero is my favorite, but nobody's making them. I mean, that's kind of a mm -hmm. kind of one, but you know, yeah, Mike, our executive producer, thinks I'm just the biggest idiot for liking petite lanceros there's nothing wrong with that man i know it. he's all like give me you a sip it with your mimosa you know give me give me a corona petite corona or do you like them churchills yeah yeah so what would you rate this cigar from one to five if you had to we're going one to five now yeah we're going one to, we're we're updating our, our, okay. our ranking here at sips on the smokes with the time here you know instead of one to three it's mm. one to five wow yeah, we're we're branching out. All those letters are are making way. We're gonna keep sending them in, folks. At Mike, good old boy Mike, sipsonsandsmokes dot com. You, know? you want a full integer? Can I give it to you in fractionals? Uh, you know, let's hear it. Go ahead. I would give it a four point oh five. Okay. Hmm. <coughs> yeah, I'm 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 about there. Four four five. You know, I think it's a good cigar. Um, now, can you guess a region from it? Or no, a country? I'm, I'm just not that good with that no, sort of yeah, stuff, No, yeah, me neither. Man. 
I was hoping you'd wow me. No, I just make me look like an idiot. I can tell you sometimes, like I can look at the rapper and say, I think that's Broadleaf or I think that's San Andres. Yeah. Um, on this, I'm having a hard time. It might be a Habana, but man, I I would be dumb sounding if I said I knew what I was saying. Yeah. I just don't know. Well, let me look this up before I tell you what it is. And uh, I know what it is, but, you know, just so I have all my information right. It's a little toothy, so it might be San Andres, but again... I'm about to sound real dumb because you're going to tell me it's something totally different. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is what we love to do to look dumb in the show here, folks. <laughs> so what's your, uh, should I just go ahead and we'll talk about it there? All right. So what you're smoking is a Tennessee Waltz from Crown Heads. You were. Good job. It's a five and a half by 52 Robusto. Um... And this is probably one of the... This is a Tennessee exclusive cigar. Okay. You can only buy these in Tennessee. Uh, they were part of a four cigar line that John Huber did. And when I spoke to him about these, he said this were all had significant relationships. Each cigar had a significant relevance to his relationship with his wife, either where they're both from, where they met, and where they're married. Um, so there's four of them. One you can only get in Hawaii which is the uh, Paneloa Especial, and it comes out once a year. Uh, the Tennessee Waltz, which also most of these come out once a year. Um, the Texas version is called the Yellow Rose. And, man, I'm telling you, if you have not ate anything that day, don't smoke that cigar. It's a good cigar. I smoke that. It is such a good cigar. I love them. And then the Buckeye Land, which I haven't been able to find any more of those lately. So, if, folks, if you know where you can get them, go ahead and just send me some. I want some Buckeyes. It's trickery. So let's look up here. Which is uh, Binder Filler Wrappers. Is, uh, so your wrapper is a USA Connecticut Broadleaf. Uh, your binder is Nicaraguan and your filler is Nicaraguan. Um, doesn't give me anything other than that. But, you know, this is this is what I... Would you have ever guessed that this is what you were smoking? Yeah. That's why we put bands on the cigars. Because mm-hmm. otherwise they're just brown sticks. Just a brown stick, maybe. But that's what I love about this, man, is that, that you know, I, I love to get guys on here and they'd be like, oh, this is, the, you know, like we, Jeremy from Wildfire did our first one of these the other day. Okay. Or, or a month ago. And he was like, I think this is my cigar. This is one that I did. And blah, blah, blah. And starts going off. And I was like, Jeremy, I love you. But, you know, this is a, I forget what it was. Oh, it is a Tatuaje Fausto. Yeah, that's good cigar. And I was like, I'm like, I guarantee you've smoked very many of these cigars. And he was like, man, I've smoked so many of these cigars because he used to work in retail as well. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, you get to to have another one on me, you know, and and it's great. So I I actually had another one to blind you with, but I I went with this one because I was almost certain you hadn't had it because it's a Tennessee exclusive. So, and they just got them back in here at the Abbey, which is where we're broadcasting from today smokers abbey in east nashville uh shout out to them for hosting uh if you guys get an opportunity there's four locations uh there's one in austin texas and that the guys that run that shop are amazing there's one in memphis brad down there is awesome um there's one in east nashville which is where we're at right now and then there's one in gallatin tennessee and it's actually an old bank so the bank vault is the humidor with the big steel door and everything. That's pretty sweet. The smoker's uh, Abbey aesthetic is 
really cool. Yeah, it's just chill, man. So their whole vibe is to find rest for your soul. You know, that goes back to, uh, you know, the the owner of Smoker's Abbey is actually why I live in Nashville. So I actually moved here to be part of his church in 2010 when the flood happened. And uh, it was, man, my life's been so interesting since then. Um, you know, wouldn't take it back for the world. But we just love doing what we're doing, man. And like, yeah, this this is amazing. I, I hope you're enjoying yourself. Oh, it's fantastic. And again, the Smokers Abbey guys have been really fantastic to us, especially here in, in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, they they took a chance on us a couple years ago, and they've been selling our stuff. And um, yeah, we're very grateful to them. Yeah. for everything that they can do even the accommodation here yeah no this is big because we were going to do this in my basement and then you know decided this might be a little cleaner so such a good choice yeah it is you know yeah my basement my dog starts barking and you know <laughs> can't get him to shut up sometimes You're like stop it but he's a good boy he's a good boy <laughs> that's right but but yeah man so what uh what 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 are some things that you know we we, we talked about alcohol a little bit we got a few minutes here. What, 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 you know, other than your typical drinks, bourbon, like you enjoy doing mixology stuff with your drinks, or do you just enjoy neat drinks? Or most of the stuff I drink is neat. Um, but being from Southern California, we have a lot of craft brew out yeah. where I'm at, uh, between SoCal and NorCal. Yeah. In fact, uh, one of my favorite, absolute favorite beers I can't find anymore. It's Bubble Stash by Hop Valley. Oh, really? It's an IPA. It's very good. I don't think I've ever had that. Oh, my goodness gracious. A little citrusy. You can drink a six-pack in an evening. You feel good. Yeah? Um, yeah, it's a great it's a great beer. There's, a, there's other craft beers that I've been drinking as well, but, you know, I'm getting older, and the weight comes on easier and goes off oh, yeah. a lot harder. And with all the road travel I've been doing, uh, shout out to the Holiday Inn because they got those ellipticals in that gym 24-7. I love that. Yeah. But it's just not the same. You know, it's not the same as my road bike as home, at home. The Peloton. No, I've got a I've got a nice Cannondale at the house. Oh, you ride on the road. Yeah. That's, you know, you think um, driving around is dangerous. Get on a bicycle. Oh, I Especially in Southern California. They do not respect the law. They don't respect anything. Yeah. I've been sheared a couple of times, man. It's pretty yeah. it's pretty gnarly. So uh, a couple of years ago, my wife got me a uh, GoPro, <coughs> which I mount to the front. It's kind of like an insurance policy in case sure. something happens. And I had one guy get a little uh, weird with me on a road called Foothill, which uh -huh. there's not much shoulder at all. So you have to ride in lane. And uh, he got a little odd and tried brake checking me, which is weird because I got disc brakes on a carbon fiber bike. Yeah. And I'm, you know. I'm going to stop just fine. Uh, I'm 200 pounds. Now. Yeah. Like it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave a skid mark. Anyways, um, I caught his license plate in full 4K60. And I shot it over to VPD and they talked to him a little bit. Yeah. But there's not much they can do, you know. I mean, yeah. it's not illegal to be jerk on the road yeah unfortunately um but yeah i mean between 18 wheelers and guys in trucks you know they just don't know I mean, you you buzz past a guy doing you know 25 or 30 miles an hour on a bike and you're doing 60 or 65 in a truck yeah that vacuum wash will pull me right into the road which endangers everybody at that point yeah yeah it's kind of wild but i do love it i can and just see you with the whole spandex spandex 
with the padded <laughs> yes, suit, uh, you know, the padded <laughs> butt with the, the helmet that goes butt. backwards, and there's nah, well, yeah, they're just, stupid, they're just sexy riff, Flanders riffing it out there, Hadley Doodly, Hadley Doodly. <laughs> I do do that. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, when I first started riding, I I didn't do that. I wore board shorts and a t-shirt. But, um, you know, your times get a lot better when you get more aerodynamic. Oh, we're talking times now. Yeah, well, it starts to become a little bit of an addiction. Okay, you're going to have to wean it. Yeah, so, you know, you start looking at your numbers and you're like, well, I can pick up an extra minute on this circuit of 30 miles Ooh. if I just wore clothes that were a little bit tighter. A little aerodynamic? Yeah, so uh, my kid, God bless her, um, she got me a Gadsden flag jersey. Okay. So, you know, don't tread on me and big old yellow flag jersey flying out oh, I there. Love it. Some guys flip me off as they're going by. I guess those California liberals uh, don't like it when I, uh, you know. Tread on them? Well, I don't even tread, man. <laughs> like, I'm just uh, promoting my Second Amendment right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's true. I I have a nice arsenal at the house and, you know, I you also should. happen to wear spandex and ride a bike. Yeah. Yeah. Do you keep it tucked in your spandex? <laughs> you know, I I wanted to get an LCR for that reason. Yeah, you should. <laughs> you know. <laughs> just put it right in the Thunderwear. That would be awesome. Just right up front. Like, we got a problem, bro? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But, uh, you know, out where I'm at, it's, it's kind of tough to get a CCW. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's sad. But you can always move out here. That's true. We thought about it. You should. Yeah. Yeah, we'd have a lot of fun. Can you imagine? I wouldn't ride bikes with you, but we'd have a lot of fun. I'd get you going. Well, You'd be surprised, man. You might. It's, it's addictive. You might. You might. But anyway, you know, as all things we, as our old saying here is, you know, all things in life are worth discussing. So we, we really like to keep keep going with that. Um, how are we doing on time, sir? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing a little good on time. So a couple minutes left before we break for this radio episode but we'll keep going after that so if you guys get a chance um if you like what you're listening to and you want to finish this episode up we'll probably have some more time um on our online so you have to go online and and grab that sorry for your radio listeners out there but thank you so much for your support on the radio because without you guys we're, we're we're nothing and uh you know we we you guys support us wholeheartedly and we definitely appreciate the love from that so, but yeah, you know, what, what, uh, what's, what's been your favorite thing in Nashville so far or Mississippi or. Well, I can tell you, um, the music in Nashville is, is absolutely incredible and it is pervasive. It's everywhere. Um, when I was here for just two days, I was down at the holiday Inn and by Vanderbilt and they have the Commodore grill. Yeah. Attached to that place. Yeah. And I would go down and grab my... Commodores is the Vanderbilt's team, for those who don't know. Yeah. Sports ball. I think it sucks. I think that sucks. <laughs> balls, sucks. what? And they do a live stage show a couple <laughs> hours every night. And I mean, I guess that stage is littered with some pretty top-end celebrities, man. Yeah. Um, and I believe it because the, the sound setup is pretty good. The sound stage yeah. looks amazing they got lighting the whole thing and you sit down you order your beer and you can watch a live performance and they rotate them out every 30 minutes and i they do it seven days a week and it's pretty incredible just the music in this town and i I love that because i love music (coughs) yeah the one thing we're not missing in nashville is 
live music it is everywhere every hotel bar every everywhere that can have a stage has a stage and even some places that shouldn't have a stage has stages but you know that's that's pretty indicative of, of where we are but we got some top shelf talent here man and a lot of it's in house bands actually which is crazy because you get a lot of these old studio artists and they do house band stuff and that's you know that's their bread and butter but anyway you know we, we'd like to thank kevin newman for coming out um and, and having a chats with us did you enjoy yourself i appreciate you man i really do and i always have a good time with you yeah yeah anything you want to say to our listeners before we sign off on this one i just want to say thank you so much see if you can find a psycho seven out there on the shelf but definitely pick up some artista yeah well well thank you so much and and you know everything in life is worth worth everything in life worth good is worth discussing i'm horrible at this today thanks a lot bronchitis anyway thanks for listening this is good old boy barker telling you to keep smoking and hope you guys have a good evening welcome back to the continuation of our chats episode with kevin newman from artista cigars uh this is one to be our the continuation on our online only release so uh, thanks for coming back. Thanks for coming back, Kevin. Oh, thanks for help, uh, and, having me, man. And we are actually joined on the mic with uh, good old boy Mike. Hey, everybody. He couldn't stay away. He just had so much to say today. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let me, you know, we, I told you about a little bit about the cigar that we're smoking. And, uh, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about your constructive criticism on this or feedback, so to speak. What? You know how'd it burn? What what was it like? You know, flavor wise, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, tell me a little bit about it. The first third was a little rough for me. It may just be this one particular cigar. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, but as I got into that second third, it started to open up. The burn started to even out a little bit. Started to cone real nice. Yeah. Um, and beyond that, I started to get some some cedar, some citrus, yeah. and now in the back third, I'm catching some chocolate. Yeah. Which is an actual pleasant surprise here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying it. So these cigars, like I said, have been one of their staples for a long time in this line. Um, I absolutely, I can't, I've smoked so many of these cigars. Um, I absolutely love what Huber's doing. I absolutely love what Crown Heads is doing. I'm a big Crown Head supporter. So Kevin, when you approach, you know, making, you know, limited edition cigars, um, do you find that your creative process, you know, is energized or you walk into it and you say, you know, this was a blend that I always wanted to come back to, but it just didn't fit with the rest of our product line. Either sourcing was compromised to be able to produce that, you know, time and time again. And it's like, you know, I think I can make, you know, a hundred thousand of these cigars, but um, you know, that's, that's it. And, you know, we'll run that for two years or, you know, whatever. Um, I'm just, so my question is, is, is your approach altered when you're going after, you know, kind of a, a limited, you know, edition style stick? So we don't do limited editions and that's been a hole in our portfolio for a long time. And part of that is because of this, this size of Artista cigars. We work with a lot of tobacco and we don't, really find these one-off type leaves very often because we buy a lot of tobacco out of whack or we grow the tobacco ourselves so everything that we put into the pipeline up to this point has been production forever 
But the conversation around the the table lately has been there's been a push in the marketplace for limited editions. There's a taste for it. What can we get our hands on? Mm. Now, that push is primarily coming from me because I've been on the consumer side and then, of course, you know, on the sales, retail and marketing and branding side for going on 15 years now. And limited editions are always really fun to play with. The problem with a limited edition cigar from a manufacturer standpoint is if it takes off and it does really well, you're screwed. You really want to keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> that unlimited cigar now, you know, like it's kind of weird because it's a bad business decision to go from limited to unlimited. But it's also a bad business decision to just cut it off completely. So, uh, is it something where you're, you you know, I have a bun and a filler that, you know, I've always wanted to work with and you start with that end of the equation or do you start, you know, with the wrapper and kind of work your way inside? You know, what's, so, I'm just kind of curious, what's your thought process? Very good question. I, I work from the wrapper first. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a wrapper in particular that I really love that Ram will roll his eyes at. He does every time I mention it. Which, which wrapper? It's the Bahia. Okay. <laughs> From Brazil. It's this dark, chocolatey Maduro wrapper, and it is so good. And I used it one time on a what turned out to be a limited edition cigar um, for another company. And it was arguably the best wrapper that I had ever worked with. The burn was impeccable. The flavor was incredible. And it looked like a beauty queen. Like it, it needed a, a silk sash. And a little crown. Yeah. And they needed, needed a trailer a and a small parade, you know? Like it was incredible. Laser show. Yeah. <laughs> Trans Siberian Orchestra every time you open the box. <laughs> Blah. Ironically, we put it in the absolute worst looking box you can possibly think that's of. Awesome. But actually made the wrapper look amazing. Yeah. Um, but that's how I start because so much of the flavor does come from the wrapper, but also the draw towards that cigar. You know, people buy with their eyes. That's something my dad taught me in the restaurant. You know, people eat with their eyes. Well, in the cigar shop, people buy with their eyes. Um, oh, we talk about that too. Yeah, yeah. Presentation is everything. It is everything. Fifty percent of what I buy is, is something visually appealing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about like who's buying cigars, it's mostly males. Yeah, and we're visual guys, and um, so that's how I start. You know, what is what is this wrapper? What is it going to do for the rest of it? And then. I like to work backwards. Ram, the president of Artista Cigars, he'll work from the inside out. So we'll find some kind of blend that's kind of cool, and we'll break it down to its components. So our process at the factory is very simple. We'll, we'll take some base tobaccos, and we'll smoke them as puritos, these little pure, tiny little you know, cowboy-style cigars. Yeah. And we'll find the the priming that works that we like and then we'll pair that off with a really good binder and that's kind of how we start to build it up sure um but i always have the the wrapper in mind the thing is it's like cooking at some point you have to find the right blend of all the ingredients that works yeah you know like you may think in your mind that this recipe is going to come out real nice yeah but the wrapper doesn't work. Depends on how stoned I am. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I'm like, uh, that's going to be awesome. That's going to be. And then when you're like, oh, I need some salt. 
nowhere is that more indicative than the latest release for Artista, which is coming in very soon. And that we changed out. I can't tell you. Oh. But it'll be an Artista release. There you go. That's good. Um, but the thing is, we changed out the wrapper on that thing probably four times. Really? Because it just wasn't working. Wow. Wow. So yeah. so let me ask you, you say you have a process and Ram has his process and you have your process. Have you guys ever switched processes with each other? Been like, hey, look, I found a rapper I want. You found a, a filler you want. Like, let me build a cigar from the filler and you build a cigar from that wrapper. Yeah. Have yeah. You, you've done we, that? Well, I mean, listen, yeah, as all things, all things in ways, the industry, you know? all things in the industry, there's no standards. So sometimes if we're feeling freaky and we want to go in a different direction, I'll pair off with Kiko, which is our master blender. And I'll say, hey, this is what I want. Or I'll ask him, what have you been smoking lately that you've been making that I haven't even seen yet? Yeah. And he'll bring me something that's magical. And then we'll, we can work off of that as a base. Sure. Ram's more of a purist. I mean, he grew up in the factory. He's been doing it since he was three years old. Yeah. So, you know, he... He definitely has his fingers on the pulse of the factory, on the tobacco, the what's coming in. Because we have pilons, like you wouldn't believe, like so much tobacco. <laughs> so he'll know, like this is the this particular tobacco will be ready for production next year. So let's work with this tobacco. Sure. Uh, so I have always have to def, you know defer to him when it comes to that sort of stuff because I just I don't I'm not on that side of the business as right. much as he is. On my side of the business, though, I'll see trends that are coming up, and I'll say, hey, let's let's try to find something that's in this vein because people are really really kind of gravitating towards this. Yeah, I don't get the whole San Andreas you know rapper you know thing that's in motion right now. You better stop it. <laughs> I think we're at the tail end of it. <laughs> I love God, a good Mexican San Andreas, know. though, man. It's got that flavor profile. It's interesting because San Andreas, to me, is very neutral as a as a as a wrapper. Um, it's really the binder that has to carry the weight for those blends, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's some there's some nuance to that, but it just doesn't have the flavor profile that I would like necessarily yeah. with all the blends. So, but ultimately, it. It's a very good wrapper when it's done right. And we use a lot of it. I mean, if you look at our portfolio, San Andres is, you know, at the top of the list for a lot of our top blends. Sure. But the binder and the filler blend really carries it. Yeah. And nowhere is that more indicative of what we do than with the Buffalo 10. The yeah. Buffalo 10 Maduro, it's got that San Andres on the outside, but the binder is Negrito. Uh-huh. Did I ever tell you about Negrito? No, keep talking. Oh, man. Negrito is an old, old rapper they used to use in the Dominican Republic okay. in the 1950s and 60s. And it just fell out of fashion. They started bringing in some other uh, tobaccos that were easier to work with. And when we were looking through some of the old recipe cards, we kept seeing this word over and over again for this particular type of tobacco. We finally went to an agronomist and asked him about it. The guy's got four teeth in his head, no hair. Love it. And he says, oh, Negrito, yo tengo las semillas. And he gave us the seeds for it. But it took us years oh, yeah. to kind of bring it back, to acclimatize it to the soil conditions and yeah. to really get it back. Because they hadn't used it since the 1970s. 
Man, that's like, uh, yeah, you're cooking. That was when DDT up. was like a really good, you know, yeah, herbicide. Yeah. <laughs> no mosquitoes, dog. <laughs> Ain't no mosquitoes here, man. <laughs> so your left eye fell out, but it's good. <laughs> it's good tobacco. <laughs> but as an allure, that binder is very, very strong, and it's it's what gives Buffalo Ten a really good flavor. Right. And then we mix it in with a product called T13. T13 uh, does sound like DDT, but it's yeah. not. T13 is a hybrid of San Vicente and another tobacco. And that gives you a little bit of uh, kind of apricot, like dried fruit on that blend. Sure. So again, you're looking at the San Andres, which you would think would carry the weight, but it doesn't. The binder, the, neg the negrito, and the T13 really uh, help that blend sing. So that's where the the masterful understanding of the tobacco, the process, and the availability of the tobacco comes in. And that's not me. That's Ram. And that's the team down there sure. at Artista that know that better than I do. So you were talking earlier about how you love to cook. Mm. So uh, wh what do you like to cook? <laughs> what do you got? Yeah? Yeah. I have a lot uh, on my mind or just <laughs> in general? No, I mean... So I grew up in a restaurant and, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a fancy restaurant. My dad was, uh, was a, a cook and a chef That's your flat and side. thank you, sir. Got to cut a cigar here with a really cool knife. Yeah. That's um, my buddy Robert, man. Makes those knives. Yeah. If you don't know what you're doing, you're going to hurt yourself. That thing's you sharp. Know. Thank you. So you have that line right there. Thank you, sir. So what we learned, but I mean, the restaurant business, it's a low margin business. It's a very romantic business. A lot of people want to get into it because they see it's what's possible on TV. Bucks. Yeah. Well, people just like the cigar industry, it's the same kind of a conversation. Someone yeah. says, oh, I want to open up a restaurant and say, you know how to get a small fortune in the restaurant business? Uh, start with a lot. Start with fortune. a lot more. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, for the restaurant business, it's very similar to the cigar business. We're not doing it for the money as much as we are doing it for the love and uh, the relationships and all of the fun that really comes out of it. And part of the fun for me is being in a, a kitchen and having just a few ingredients to make something spectacular or, you know, something that's different. Um, right now, I've been doing a lot of Indian food cooking. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Which is a, a bit of a challenge because <laughs> so much of that is the process and the spice. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not necessarily the protein or the vegetables, you know. So I know Indian cuisine a little bit. So is there a particular regional uh, Indian that you really kind of gravitate towards? Um, so I couldn't give you exactly a yeah, region, the Indian one, North, South, yeah, East, no. West. I mean, it's yeah. just like American cooking. You know, yeah. it's like, Oh, I love American food. Yeah. Okay. So what region, <laughs> yeah. you know, like what kind of American cooking you like barbecue? What kind of barbecue you like Tennessee barbecue? You like barbecue from, uh, well, maybe this is an easier question. So, you know, so many, uh, you know, people from India are, are vegetarians. Do you, do you like, you know, inserting proteins or you, you want to stick with a lot of those, you know, traditional, uh, you know, Indian Indian uh, dishes that don't you know feature a protein. Yeah, so I don't shy away from a vegetarian cuisine. Hmm. You know, it's, it's just got to be palatable. It's got to right. be delicious, um, and it's the spices that really do that. So we'll make our own garam at the house. Okay, we roast the individual spices <coughs> and then we blend it up and make it fresh. Hmm. 
Um, nice. Do you Part blend your own curries? We do, actually. Yeah. yeah. There we go. I need a good yeah. recipe. Yeah. It's, uh, so there's a really cool place that's pretty close to us right here called the Spice House. Spice House. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's kind of an interesting place. I call it... Uh, sensory overload you know it's kind of like walking through a candy store you know for a cook because you know you're just you you walk around and the thing that you wind up with is you walk out with five or six spices that when you're in the store you became enamored with it and, and then, then you get home and, and yeah and then you get home and you're like oh man it's like i had something in mind you know to blend these three but it didn't quite work out the way that i thought and so it's a very interesting creative process where you're kind of looking at the same base ingredients much like the conversation you had about a cigar where it's like i'm looking at this one component and i'm really yeah. enthralled with it and you know i think uh, a lot of times many cooks and i'm i'm guilty of this is that i get really enamored with one aspect you know of that dish and I forget that I'm really trying to create something that's harmonious around it. Um, the first time I worked with uh, Harissa was, you know, very much that way, where I really, you know, became enamored with with one particular Harissa, and I didn't realize there's like, you know, 45, you know, uh, globally. And all of a sudden, I when when I was actually, you know, consuming that dish, I was like, this did not come together. The Harissa is there, but the rest of it just blows, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, so. You know, I think that some of the Indian, you know, dishes that I've gone after, I, I think that that's the way that I would probably describe the vast majority of them is it was like 60% there. It just, you know, when it all comes together until you're making that dish like 20, 30, 40 times, you know, do you really get around to like, okay, I'm off the sheet. I'm not following a recipe anymore. I'm actually cooking and tasting and trying to fill out that remaining 40% that I keep on, you know, missing the mark on. So, and doing it over and over again is so Im incredibly important. Yeah. Um, we'll start with a base recipe and I'll change. I'm a little bit methodical with my cooking. I'll change one thing every time I make it. And we finally get to that two or three dozen mark where we've made it several times. And we go, okay, this is the process. And we change the recipe card for ourselves. Right. So this is how you do it. And it's not just the ingredients. It's also the process, right. how long things take, the tools you use. Um, I mean, the game changer for us was getting a whole new set of cast iron uh, Dutch ovens. Oh, cast iron's the way yeah. to go, baby. And it just maintains the heat and yep. keeps that consistency over time. But then you got you to gotta be careful with the cast iron because it'll continue to cook once you take it off. So mm -hmm. you got to know that, mm -hmm. that spot that you pull it off and just let the cast iron do what it does. Mm -hmm. So I had an interesting Southern moment, uh, you know, happened actually just this week. We had a relative that, you know, passed away. And sure enough, of all the things that, you know, we talked, it's who's walking away with a cast iron oh, skillet no and because, way. you know, these things had been seasoned with uh -huh. so yeah. many different, you know, animal fats that, you know, it's like this one, you know, has a certain flavor profile and this one has a certain flavor profile. This one you make, you know, cornbread in, but you don't, you know, ever fry anything in it. And it was interesting of all the things that, you know, the family was generating towards of, you know, stuff that they really wanted you know it was the cast iron skillets that you know they were talking about and that's just such a southern thing you know yeah. but i think you know certainly as a as a cook you're like absolutely man you know uh yeah. it makes a lot of sense there's no way i'm gonna replicate that dish unless i have that particular you know cast iron pan 
Yeah, I mean, we put the Southern in Southern California in my household. So uh, we've got cast iron pans specifically, like you're saying. We have one for the sweet stuff. It never touches anything else there besides apple pie, yep. apple brown Betty, mm. you know, blueberry cobbler. Um, but then we also have the other ones. You have the frying cast iron, and then we have the porcelain covered cast iron. And, you know, that's for our uh, Italian dishes or, like, say, a buttered chicken. It's got the the acidic profile from the tomatoes Yeah, uh, that you really shouldn't use in a, in a cast unenameled iron. cast iron. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard because, like, I don't have an enameled cast iron yet. That's my next purchase is an enameled cast iron Dutch oven in a, in a, in a pan. Mm. Crusettes are awesome, uh, but yeah. I, I've actually returned more of those than I've kept. I've yeah, got a lodge, man. So yeah, I, I love run, it. I got lodges too, man. And then I have an actual old cast iron brand cast iron. Oh, really? Yeah. This thing's like 18 inches. It's dope. And I cook everything in it. But my wife is, she, my wife's 5'2", tiny woman. And she has a hard time lifting them. So she hates using them. So if it's on the stove, she'll use it for whatever. And so I'm like, why are you putting tomato paste in that? What, what's up? <laughs> like, so, Kevin, are you, are you a coffee guy? I love coffee. So I'm curious, uh, you know, certainly being, you know, in the DR, I've got to believe that there are certain coffee, you know, varieties that you really enjoy there locally. Uh, do any of your, you know, uh, tobacco farms, do they actually, you know, do they have coffee trees on some of those that you are sourcing from as well? Not that I'm aware of, um, but I can tell you this. The best cup of coffee I ever had was in Ocatal in Nicaragua. That's just a few miles from the border uh, between Nicaragua and Honduras. You know the elevation? Yeah, it was pretty high. Yeah, yeah it's about as high as it can get out oh, there. Wow. Um, but the Till coffee, the, the <laughs> coffee came from the mountains that were above that spot in Ocatal. Yeah. And the production manager actually was growing those beans, and he roasted it himself. And when we came into the factory, um, he said, hey, please sit down. Let's, uh, would you like some coffee? And I was thinking, okay, yeah, sure, not a problem. And oh, my gosh, this was the best coffee I've ever had. I mean, <laughs> I would go back to Ocatal just for that cup of coffee. Well, if I ever had to give up a product idea, that would be it, is that uh, – there was a there was a particular farm, you know, in Costa Rica one time that uh, the local restaurant um, actually sourced like everything from this one farm, and so they had livestock, uh, including uh, pigs, and I think they had uh, some cows that were on that farm as well. But they had, uh, you know, they grew uh, tobacco on that same land, and uh, then they, you know, up on the hills that were surrounding the land, they actually had several coffee farms and all of this was sourced down into one restaurant. Oh, and wow. so I, I call it basically the terroir experience um, <laughs> where you would be able, I mean, you know, a lot of times you don't really appreciate the full complexity of how farmers work, you know, a particular piece of land where until you see that they're using everything from the Valley, you know, to the high point, you know, on that piece of land and really, taking in basically what's you know what what sunshine and water is going to give up in the land it's in the soil uh is going to give up in terms of you know what would be a sustainable crop you know for those areas and i really you know i really love that that concept but it was a very localized you know uh thing but i always thought that would be a really cool product that you had like a whole product line to bring the terroir experience you know somebody across the board and say if you really want to understand in in your case you know this farm in dr 
we've looked at the whole way they've used that piece of land and we want to bring that experience, you know, to the consumer of saying, you know, this is, um, you just don't get like one, one thing from, you know, that, sp that plot of land in DR, you don't get just the tobacco. We want to bring everything. And I, I always thought that was a, just a, a really cool idea. Nobody's pulled it off. Cause you know, it's like, you know, how do you, how do you coordinate all that? I do cigars, Mike. I don't do pigs. You know? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, to your point, with the family, the Rodriguez family, they do have pig farms that are not necessarily on the same plot of land, but close. Because when you buy land, as it's been explained to me, when you buy land for tobacco farming, you buy a plot of land, but only a strip of that may be suitable sure. for growing tobacco, especially the tobacco that you're growing. So the rest of it is yours, but it's not usable for the tobacco so they'll grow they have pig farms and uh mike and i were talking about this but the, the what we'll do is we'll have guys come down media guys come down to see what we do yeah and one of the little treats we have is our one of our local uh locally farmed pigs will roast it in the traditional dr style nice. mm. and that's a real that's a real treat <laughs> you spoke in the uh fire barn yep there you go. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's beautiful. So man. we're going down, Mike. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, so that was kind of the flavor profile that I grew up with, uh, you know, with a lot of the pork products is that, you know, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of tobacco farms and, you know, in very uh, close proximity. And, you know, the local uh, barbecue establishments, they actually smoked, you know, in the fire barns, you know, a lot of times. And, um, and, you know, they would have the country hams, you know, hanging in, you know, the same barn. And yes, so sir. that, that, that fire barn was like the ultimate flavor profile. Cause you got all of these things, you know, working in there at the same time. I wonder if anyone ever smokes meat while they smoke tobacco. Uh, I don't think that would probably work out really well. Cause I don't, the smoke profile is different, you know, uh, but yeah, you would drop hickory wood, you know, uh, on the yeah, base of a lot of those floors. If you got a cigar floors. that you light that smells like bacon, yeah, mm. come on now. Mm. I think you should do that, Mike. Yeah, I'd love to. Mm -hmm. So, and um, I, I interrupted a little bit of the conversation about you know cooking um, as well. So, is there anything you know? Is there a cuisine you're like, I'm never coming back to that? So. You, you made 40 dishes and in, you know the indian cuisine do you ever find that's like okay i'm done with this well i'm stubborn that's part of the problem no, I yes uh, um no i mean if we if we have a struggle with a thing i i will i'll shelf it and then i'll i'll either change it up and continue down that line with maybe indian cuisine mm -hmm. or we'll just change it up completely i mean the the kids do get tired they get tired of the food. I keep serving them. That's not so good. But I'll, I'll, I'll ask them. You will you sit know? down say, there hey. and you will eat every bite of that. No, I say, jump. if it's not good, don't eat it. But let me know. You know, and that comes directly from oh, that is a, that is a diehard I mean? rule in my house. If yeah. it sucks, you better say it sucks. Yeah. I'll make it again. Because otherwise, I'll make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know. And my kids have become pretty good critics. Uh, my youngest, she'll tell me, mm, it's mid. And I'm like, what? What? What's a mid? Huh. <laughs> this process is something that I can absolutely relate to. Um, I do it with a lot of things. The I think probably the one that catches a lot of people off guard is cocktails. Hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I can't begin to tell you how many cocktails I've made where it's like, okay, trust me. So uh, 
several years ago, I don't know, probably 15 years ago, it was about making the perfect Cosmo. I mean, of all the things you could possibly master, you know. Um, I know you say that now, but at the time, I mean, Cosmos were all the rage. And uh, seriously, yeah, I mean, I probably went through, you know, at least a good 35 recipes to find exactly, you know, what vodka to use, you know, what cranberry use. I I say it was the 80s, but you know, the type of sugars. This was actually two weeks ago. (laughs) No, I have not. We we just have to a long time. You know, let's just get some frame of reference here. But I've done that, you know, with other things, you know, with like, you know, old fashions or, uh, you know, I absolutely will tell you, I make the very best Mai Tai on the free planet. You know, uh, I'm going to take you so, up on that. Yeah. Um, Listen, I'm not. Yeah, Mike makes a pretty damn good Mai Tai. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Mike makes pretty damn good Mai Tai. I, I like I'll that. say that. You know, I, I will just, uh, I will take that for yeah. sure. You know, uh, <laughs> I appreciate yeah, so much finally that, admitted, you know. So much that I've asked for the recipe, but he hasn't given it to me. You know. There's a there's a few secret few secret ingredients. No, I've given it, the recipe up to a, a couple of uh, cool bartenders over time. Oh, I but, guess I'm not good enough then. Oh yeah, you'll work your way up to that. <laughs> uh, so you have anything else that's in that trial and error mode right now? You're like, I'm on iteration number ten. Mm. I, I got like twenty more to go. I'm not quite there. Well, recently we've been making a lot of pork ragu. Oh. Which yeah. is a very simple dish. Yeah. Most of the stuff we make is like folk oh, you food. Can, is that like crab Simple raccoon? dishes are like, you know, simple beers. You know, you yeah. can screw up a great pilsner. You yeah, know? for yeah. sure. For yeah. sure. For me, the hardest part has been finding the right tomatoes. Oh. You know, I mean, you can go and buy so a can. in California, right? Yeah, yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, but you can't. A lot of tomatoes grow out there. Yeah, yeah. They're great on hamburgers, but not so good in an Italian dish. So uh, we've been buying a lot of San Marzano, but even within the San Marzano line, there's a lot of different variation. And some will give you like a citrusy uh, flavor profile, and some will give you a deep, rich profile. And just trying to find that consistency is tough. And you can try to grow a San Marzano you know, seed in your, yeah. in your garden, but it's not going to come out as San Marzano. It's going to come out as like a hybrid. And that's been tough. Mm. There's been a few where we've made it and the kids are like, make it exactly like this every single time. And we'll, you know, the six of us will take down a, you know, seven pound pork shoulder sure. uh, in a night. And then there's other times when it's just not so good. Also, the wine makes a huge difference. Okay. Cause it takes a, like a cooking base wine. Yeah. Cause you know, you put in, about a half a bottle of wine with this recipe. You use Marsala? Uh, well, we've been using an old vine Zinfandel. Oh, okay. That really similar taste profile. Yeah. And that, that makes a big difference. You know, we don't use cooking wine like cooking wine. If it's good enough to drink, it's good enough to cook with. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's how we do it. We don't have a separation there. Yeah. That's actually, um, so I have the, I have that same rule with a lot of things that, um, oddly enough, cookie dough was the thing that I had in my mind this week. That um, I had don't a, say. Yeah, I had a uh, friend that called me out of the blue, and they were like, "You know, man, this, this this cookie's just not turning out right." And I said, "Okay, well, let's walk through it for a second. And I said, uh, "Okay, well, after you've combined everything, have you tasted the cookie dough?" And he's like, "Why would I do that?" And I go. That's rule number one. If the cookie dough doesn't taste good, the Correct. cookies are not going to taste right. good. And he's like, really? You eat the raw cookie dough? And I, I'm like, absolutely. And 100%. I said, I, I can't even tell you how many batches I've thrown out of cookie dough. I'm like, that's not right. I am not you know, going to bake these up. And, you know, so wine's, you know, much the same way. It's like, look at the base ingredients, you know, 
don't taste good, you know, it's not like you're going to work your way up to making, elevating it the way that you want to. Oh, correct. Correct. I mean, for us, again, it's it's getting the the base quality ingredients, just those raw ingredients. Yeah. That makes all the difference. We've had to go, again, being in California, we're very, very fortunate. So yeah. I can get, you know, farm grown stuff. And that's nice. That makes a big difference. So I have a funny uh, story um, that uh, I, I always love to tell the story. I'm not going to tell you which rel- relative. I'm not going to embarrass her. But we went to a southern restaurant, and uh, uh, she's from California. And so we, were, uh, we went to this restaurant, and she is just intensely staring, you know, at the, uh, at the menu forever and ever. And, you know, it, this is a traditional southern restaurant everything there comes from the pig and so she's just you know it's like 10 minutes going by she's staring at it finally leaned over and i said look everything on this menu is going to kill you okay so and i said if we could possibly figure out a way to fry lettuce we would do it you know and so she's finally you know she's like okay so the uh the waitress came around she said well um i'm almost there um but i was wondering if you could tell me you know what kind of lettuce that you have on this salad <laughs> She was like, she was like, well, it's green. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, this is a typical California conversation because you get to, you know, work with 40 different varieties of lettuce. And here at the Southern restaurant, it's like, dude, seriously, whatever came off the Cisco truck, that's what you're getting today. <laughs> that's right. It's all iceberg. Yeah, just cut up differently. And, and I said, right. if you want it fried, you can ask them to go for it, you know? So, you know, but, you know, I think that's really great that certainly you're taking in, you know, uh, the ability of working with local ingredients and, you know, uh, traveling all over the world. I, that's the one thing I've told everybody is a big difference is when you are cooking with fresh local ingredients, the flavor intensity as well as the quality is going to go up exponentially. And if you are working with ingredients that have been shipped, stored, shipped again, packaged, repackaged, I'm sorry, but you're just not going to have, you know, the same ingredients, you know, to work with. And so I think it's great you work with a lot of local stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting traveling because, again, as a guy who loves to cook and we have access to such great ingredients, I love to go into the local and find out what's going on in different markets. Yeah. You know, being in the South, it's like bread it and deep fry it, you know? You're like, what kind of oil are you using? Using lard? And that's cool. Like, I'm definitely going to get that flavor profile of the South sure. this way. Um, but what's interesting is when I go into a different place is to find something that is non-endemic and try that. So I went to a Thai food restaurant in Mississippi. Completely, okay. completely off. Now, I was the only person in the restaurant on a Saturday night. I love it. Which was odd because I figured the place was going to be, it's well-appointed, beautiful, uh-huh. you know, nice place. But I did just, maybe there's not a, a taste for Thai <laughs> in Mississippi. I don't know. But the food was very good. Yeah. I have to tell you, the basil rice was off the hook. Really? Nice. Yeah. And uh, we... <laughs> We do this. Ram and I, this is kind of our thing. So in Dusseldorf, of all places in Germany, Germany, there's a um, there's a culture, there's a like a place called Little Tokyo out that way. And it is the best ramen I've ever had in this little place. Really? Yeah. Uh, throw down. 
Oh, yeah. we we got ramen. No, yeah, we got, oh, yeah, ramen, we got ramen. You're gonna you're gonna be hard pressed to there's compete, one of the man. Same, there's complex here, yeah. Right, yeah. right? Yeah, there's one two ten jack that's right. Let's up do the it. Road. I'm serious. Let's do oh, it. right here too. Yeah, but, uh, they're some of the some of the base uh, stock that you know these ramen places. It'll take four to, four or five days. Yeah. just to make the base. You know, and it's yeah, pretty pretty. Uh, and there's some guys uh, at uh, Black Dynasty. Um, I, I think that they uh, research like 10 times the am, uh, amount of time actually to make the dish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've sat there and looked at some of their cooking notebooks and the notes that they're taking and stuff. And I'm like, you are going to cook eventually, right? <laughs> like, right. You, know, you can't research it forever. Uh, but they're like, well, we're on layer number 37 of, you know, the flavor profile we're really going for. I'm like, okay, great. Just make it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's why a simple bowl of ramen is like 30 bucks. Yeah. No, for sure. And you're like, come on, man. This is just ramen. I can make this at home. And then you eat it. And you're like, oh, no, oh man. This is no, a week, this maybe. I'm not eating this at home. This is a whole new level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The over the over medium eggs is what does it for me. Uh, oh, yeah. A little go. squishy in the middle. Yeah, and that the, gel. Yeah. Let's so do it, good. Baby. Let's do it. So how do you find that that translates your, your love for cooking? Like... You touched on it a little bit earlier about how you how it translates to you making cigars, but like let's go in a little deeper with that. Let's 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 like how how does that how does that feng shui work with you and in, in in that, you know, you find a good base, but you know, how long does it take you to find that good base to to build on? You know, you say you start from the wrapper in, right? Mm-hmm. So That's how I like to do it. So yeah. your wrappers are gonna be like your spices, your character or your overall flavor, right? So what do you, what do you, how do you translate those to your inner workings? Well, I mean, you said it, a lot of it starts with the good, good quality ingredients and knowing you can get a good supply of that exact same product year in and year out. And that's the toughest part, no doubt. There's a lot of manufacturers, very good manufacturers. It's been a lot of time ensuring that that sourcing is going to be consistent. Sure. You know, cigars is very unlike, say, wine, where... You know, in wine culture, you can have a vintage. Say your 2013 is different from your 2014 and everybody expects it. You know, it's the same type of situation with tobacco. I mean, it's exposed to the elements. There's a lot more water, a lot less, a lot more sun or a lot less. (coughs) But the expectation of the consumer is completely different. They expect that cigar that they smoked in 2013 to smoke exactly the same in 2023 and 2032 and all that thing. So the hardest part is, of course, getting that, that source component making sure that it's consistent and things do change over time. They do. Yeah. I've never, that's one thing that, uh, I know, I don't understand why everybody, uh, sticks with, you know, the product line elements that you have. And yet they're a slave, you know, to basically the weather and, you know, agricultural product. Why don't you have vintage elements, you know, for cigars? I mean, I, I've got to believe there is a cigar manufacturer that just, gives that up and says, you know, listen, we we make these cigars in one season and this is the best stuff we have for that season. And, you know, no, yeah. you're not going to be able to, to smoke that 10 years from now, you know. See, I think that's where a lot of people or a lot of manufacturers are relying on their LE programs, on their limited edition programs. But I honestly think that if they would just say that this is a staple for this year, you know, instead of, because everyone comes out with an LE and slaps you know, another few extra dollars on there when it could just be, 
this is a great cigar. Like, I don't mind paying more for a cigar. You don't have to slap an LE on it. You know, you can just say, hey, this is this was the, from this season of growing. Like, these are the these are the leaves that we have. And once these are gone, these are gone. So we want to we want you to enjoy those as a consumer. You know, and I think that if if more cigar manufacturers would approach it that way, that their followings would be a little more heightened in 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 a sense that man, dude, they only made a thousand boxes of this, and this is their staple for the year. And next year, that cigar is not even going to be in existence. Yeah, you know, like it doesn't have to be an LE for it to be that. You know what I mean? And I think that throwing an LE label on something just kind of it, it it doesn't necessarily diminish the product, but it, it puts you in a in a in a predicament to where now you're having to cater to the LEs that you may or may not be producing. You know what I mean? You pigeonhole yourself, so to speak. And ma- and maybe I'm wrong in my way of thinking about that. And you know, can you expand on that? What what are your thoughts on that? No, I don't. I wouldn't say you're wrong at all. Um, so much of what we do in the cigar business is intuitive. It's driven by folks in the manufacturing space who maybe are not as connected to the consumer as they maybe should be. Um, Some of it's pencil and paper. We have to actually look at things and make sure the numbers make sense. And a lot of it, again, is driven by the consumer and what they're actually pulling off the shelf. It's really hard to take a new product from an idea to actually selling. It takes time, minimum time for most manufacturers, at least the ones that I've worked with in the past, six to eight months. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot of capital investment, resource investment, time investment that you could be spending on something else just to you know drop a cigar for 12 months. Yeah, but do you seem like it's more worth that to sit on, you know, uh, what I would call a rick? I don't know what you guys call them, a, a pallet full of tobacco. Would it, would it, is it easier to just let that tobacco age and then find a different product for it? Or is it, or, or is it, you know, better to just say this is what we have and, and make a make a cigar for, with it? Well, I think there's been manufacturers who have done that and they found some success with that, no doubt. But the, you know, your best success are the ones that keep selling year in and year out. Yeah. And if you can get a base, and there are manufacturers <coughs> that do that, they have a base of product that you, it's available forever. It's the same product, and then you just launch your LEs. You know, for us, again, we are the largest tobacco leaf grower, Artista is, and we just have the same tobacco all yeah. the time. And it's the consistency is our focus. Sure. Not not finding this uh, one-off, one of one-tenth percent of tobacco leaf that we can put into 50,000 cigars and launch that. It's very expensive to do all that, like I said. So, you know, our focus is making a consistent product that's available widely and that people can enjoy. I, there is definitely a market for that limited edition. Um, on the consumer side, I don't think we're big enough to be able to like start commanding high prices for limited editions. Sure. But you never know. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, you know maybe we'll have something. Well, I'm sitting here thinking through you know the nature of the question, and I'm thinking you know a lot of the futures contracts that you have are something that actually kind of impedes you know a lot of that take the take the crop you know that you that you think is exceptional and then create something you know around that because i mean a lot of times you have to sign like five and ten year you know future contracts you know for 
uh, sourcing a lot of the things that you work with. I'm guessing. I mean, I think that's a typical setup that I that I recall. I mean, tobacco is a commodity, and yeah. you know, it's a business as well. Sure. Um, now, that doesn't mean that we don't find crops that are just spectacular, or you know, particular um, varietal just just doing really well that year in the in the pilon in fermentation. And we go, okay, we're going to set this aside and let's see how this does. And that's essentially what happened with the T13 that's in the Buffalo 10 Maduro. Um, we had that tobacco and it was just performing super, super well. Yeah. We never anticipated Buffalo 10 to take off like it did. I mean, we've crested a million cigars in just under four years on that. It's a great you know, cigar. Like, if you haven't tried it, folks, try it. <laughs> that value line cigar, you know. Um, yeah, the price point on it is crazy. It's like well, eight, eight to ten bucks or something. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on what tax jurisdiction oh, sure, you're sure. in. But um, the MSRP on that's $5.85. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, you know, I saw somebody actually thread this needle recently in a completely different industry. And, you know, I thought it was uh, very interesting how they went about doing it. Um, and it's somebody that we actually hosted on a chats episode, Mark Rayner, from, um, he is now with Waterford, uh, Irish Whiskey. Mark's been in the uh, in the Scotch world, you know, for a long time. He was a master distiller at uh, Bunahaman and recently moved uh, to create this line of Irish Whiskey in in you know, I think probably everybody had the first thought, which is, why are you moving back in time, man? You know, because Irish whiskey is the vast majority of it is blended and, you know, it's, you know, doesn't really hold as much character. You know, um, there are certainly some Irish whiskeys where that is the case. But so it's interesting the way that he actually approached this is that he has, you know, one product line, which is the Waterford, you know, Irish whiskey. But part of what he does is he actually has traceability components all the way back to the barley that he keeps track of that single malt and which farm it came from and what, you know, year it was harvested from. And then he loads all that, you know, in a transparent way, you know, directly on the bottle so that you know that that particular taste profile for that Irish whiskey, which farm it came from and what crop it came from. So he's kind of brought this element of, vintage component you know into a product that you would think you know, much the same way that you're describing you you want to do with cigars which is i want to create the same thing all the time i want to be you know very consistent and he's actually kind of flipped the whole thing on its head and going you know chasing this thing that we're talking about which is i want to produce the very best irish whiskey with whatever that barley is you know um not to say that i want to create a signature taste profile for waterford i want to let the consumer, you know, uh, guide and direct and choose, you know, much like you do with wine. So that was very interesting how he solved that from a, a marketing concept. Um, and, um, cause that was part of what we were like, so what taste profile are you going after with? And he was like, I'm not, I'm actually just giving up whatever the barley is going to bring to, to that taste profile itself. Oh, that was really interesting. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So I got one uh, another question I like to ask people. Your uh, oh music. Yeah, your top five albums. <laughs> Desert Island, baby. Mm, Desert Island situation. Desert Island, five mm. albums. So rolling into town today, um, I was rocking out to ACDC Greatest Hits. Okay. Yeah, but I really like the the Back in Black album. Yeah, it's yeah. a good album. Dog. Yeah, that's a good. I, I grew up on that album. It's literally uh, named my dog Angus. There you go. Because <laughs> he's a black German pointer. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, that's high school for me for the most part. I wore that tape out twice. Um, that's how old I am. Nice. Michael. Nice. <laughs> Grandpa over there. Oof. Mm, that Nissan Sentra, man, that tape head is yeah. pretty good. There you go. There you go. Um, you know, for me, a lot of it is going to come down to Led Zeppelin. Houses of the Holy. Oh, know? man. Great yeah. album. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a, uh, you know, most people start talking about, you know, Dark Side and whatnot of the moon. And uh, there's a, a couple of bands. So there's a reggae band, and then there's a metal band that both cover the entire album of Dark Side of the Moon. One's called Dub Side of the Moon, and the other one's called um, like Death Side of the Moon or something. I can't remember, I can't remember, but the the reggae album is just so. I don't even like reggae, but man, that Dub Side of the Moon is is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Well, talking about covers in Led Zeppelin, the another album would be Encomium. Okay. Which I don't know if y'all heard that. But no. That is <laughs> 90s bands covering Led Zeppelin songs. Okay. Including three non blondes. Yeah, man. And I think I've heard Hootie and the Blowfish. I mean, it's, it's, it's wow. pretty spectacular and it's a time machine now, you know, looking back 30 years. Sure. Can you believe that? 30 years. Hootie blew them fish, man. <laughs> I'm right. glad I never watched that video, but. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, Encomium is going to probably be on that list. All right, as well. I got to bring this up. I got to listen to Encomium. How do you spell Encomium? In- Encomium. M I M? It's E N C O M I U M. Oh, yeah, here we are. Yeah. And it's a tribute to Led Zeppelin. Yeah. All right, there let's see here uh, if I can uh, play some of this. Uh oh. Uh, let's see a tribute. Don't, don't get us in trouble with the uh, copyright. Ah, we can do this, uh, you know, the right way. You got We're ten just, seconds. This is our commentary about this. Yeah. Um, that's all it is. Let's see. I see Beth Hart. Um, from Hart. No, uh, I don't see Enconium uh, yet. You guys keep talking. I'll find it. All right. So what else? There's three. That's three. <sighs> I hate getting pigeonholed on this type of stuff because my taste in music change all, all the time. Over the place, bro. It's so wild. Yeah. Um, I go from EDM to metal to classical. Yeah, I mean, I'm all over I'm too. Like, I was real hot on uh, Oliver Anthony for a minute. You know what I mean? Okay. I still am. Yeah. Jelly Roll too. Like, yeah. I heard him on the JRE, and I was like, all right. I stopped in the middle of the thing, and I just started listening. I listened to his whole album, his latest drop. Nice. And I mean, I, one, I really respect what he's doing. Um, I don't know that would be a desert island one but man sure. it sure does sing to the soul man yeah that's his country album right this is country album dog like it's good it's so yeah. good he's like, local here in nashville yeah. yeah that's what he was saying um you know like some of the old johnny cash stuff because out where i'm at he uh he actually had his house out there in casita springs yeah so i'm in ventura so like right up like 12 miles from my house is his old place Oh, nice. Um, and my grandfather introduced me to Johnny Cash when I was like five or six. And he's like, this is real music. And he wasn't wrong. Like, at every kind of phase of my life, Johnny Cash just sings to me in a different way. Yeah. All right. So I have uh, Inconium's uh, top songs. Name anything in their top 10. I always start with Breathe. Breathe. Hmm, that's not on here. Are you sure you're looking up the album or the uh, these? These are the songs. So it has the day life came like uh, like the dawn expression of praise. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Their top song is the day love came. 
You want to hear it? I would. Uh, that sounds like that's a band. Yeah. You're going to want to look up Encomium, which is that tribute to Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Look, up, look for Tangerine. All right. Tangerine. All right. I'll keep looking. All right. You guys keep talking. So you got two more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about phases of life. And that music really is kind of like a chapter book in my 100%. life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I go through all these different phases. Yep. Um, the when I was younger, when I was in grad school, man, like the Black Keys, like started. Okay. Yeah. Like some of that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Some older Black Keys. I can dig that. Yeah, and the the, the White Stripes as well. Like, yeah. It just there's certain things like I again I couldn't tell They're you a sp- specific album you know what I mean yeah. but yeah, you give what, me an artist what White Stripes is your favorite other than you know Seven Nation Army oh yeah <laughs> of course the NFL song there it is uh oh yeah so there's a uh, uh, Norwegian um or they might be Danish but they're uh, uh, like a viking band that does this song and it's viking metal and it's pretty good too yeah i can't remember the name of that band Mm. i'll have to look it up so we were doing some work at the house a couple years ago and our contractor's from latvia and he was listening to latvian death metal yeah and I love it. The only death metal I've ever heard that has an accordion in it. Oh, dude, that's great. <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Wait a second. I mean, how does that go at the bar? So I'm in a metal band, and uh-huh. I'm the accordion right. player. I mean, I mean, it's a lot like Jethro you, Tull, man. I mean, they both set out that flute. Are you saying you are the chick magnet, or you are aspiring to be the chick yeah. magnet? You know, at that point, you know. It's well, like, there's, there's actually a Norwegian metal band. It, it's just the guy's <laughs> name is Isan, right? And he um, has a bunch of studio musicians along with him. But one of his albums, he's got a song called Heaven's Black Sea that uh, has a saxophone solo in it. Really? So good. So good. So unexpected. Heaven's Black Sea. Heaven's Black Sea from Isan. All right. It's like I-H-S-A-N. All right. Let's see if I can find this. Uh, Heaven's Black Sea. Here we go. Just a little bit of this. Oh, it's so good. So the drummer from Nargle Fost is, is the drummer in it. He goes, I don't know how he does it, but he hits like from, he starts going from triple time to half time. Just in a Dude, this drummer is so good. Yeah, I think you could give Neil Peart a, you know, a run for his money. Yeah. It sounds like he has like four feet going. Needs more accordion. Yeah, right. <laughs> but when you get down, when you get down into like the, uh, the three quarters of that song, it's that saxophone solo, man. And it actually, it, the saxophone solo trails off the end of this song and goes starts the next song. Mm-hmm. And so the whole next song is just like flowing with it. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. When I was in high school, I really, really dug Metallica. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right up until they got those friends' haircuts. Yeah. Right. So Until the black album. Yeah. So ride the lightning. Yep. Master of puppets. Yep. You know. Yep. Kill them all. Kill them all, man. See, I was a big when I learned to play guitar. So I played metal for thirteen years, and when I started playing music, you know, ACDC, Metallica, were all the people that I, I learned to play. Mm. And then as soon as the black album hit, I was just like. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm out of, of that. Like, the Black Album was good, but it just becomes so overplayed and overplayed. And then I think after that, then the next best album they had was like that S&M when they did the, uh, dude, I love that S&M album. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a song that I would probably be listening to. I'd have to be doing something at the same time, you know. I couldn't ever see you putting Metallica on in your Mercedes with the windows down. Um, it has happened. I would say sparingly, yeah. you know. It's usually uh, after he gets off the phone with me and he's angry. <laughs> <laughs> David Barnett. <laughs> I don't say that more than three times a week. That's so, right. That's know. right. I already told him once. <laughs> no. That's great. So, uh, so do you have? Do you keep like a playlist of all these, you know, favorites, uh, or you just like listen to four albums that are all from Enconium? <laughs> it's Encomium. Encomium. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's all yeah. right. Yeah, it's probably right. English is hard in the yeah. South. That's yeah, yeah no doubt. Yeah. Um, My ears are full of pork fat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, pork is his first language. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, thank God for Spotify. That's all I have to say, oh, man. Okay. I'd be willing to pay that money because, you know, you can just pull stuff up. You know, when I was a kid, we would just pirate the, the music and I yeah. had a nice, nice library of terrible MP3s, you know, encoded at 96 kilobits. Yeah. Um, but, you know, nowadays I just pull it up and it's, I, I get a feeling for something and I just throw it on, you know, and that's, it's a, it's a blade that cuts both ways because the kids will do it too. Sure. And um, a couple of years ago, it was a lot of uh, video game themes from, oh, yeah. from the kids. Oh, yeah. You got the uh, lo-fi? No, Have I you did. gotten the lo-fi? Lo-fi? No. The lo-fi video game songs no. are, are bomb. No, like 8-bit or what? Yeah, what well, about? it's, it's kind of like a mix between 8 and 64-bit, but it's just lo-fi chill. Mm. And they got mm-hmm. some good mm-hmm. grooves. Like somebody's playing in your apartment complex, and they really are not playing any of the chords correctly. That it's, kind of No, it's really hard <laughs> to describe lo-fi for me. I mean, it's not... Ralph, need more accordion. Yeah, yeah it's, not like it, it's, it's not like an 8-bit thing, because 8-bit's 8-bit, you know? But like the lo-fi is just like chill, slow-down versions of songs that you can just bop to, you know, and it's not, it's everything. It's just strictly chill, like chill vibes. I think I found my new identity, you know, in our cast now, you know, I'm, I'm the accordion player. You're the accordion yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, no longer the not executive, lot being accordion. not the executive producer anymore. That's I'm the right. accordion player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put some flowers in your hair too. That's right. Yeah, Good sure. old boy, Mike Al Yankovic yeah. over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, I wanted to uh, wrap us up uh, for this extended conversation with Kevin. And uh, it really, uh, what, what a great time we've had with you today. And I really hope our listeners uh, get a chance to listen to all the conversation we had today. I look forward to tasting your cooking at some point in time in the future. If we Let's make it, it out, out there, we're coming to eat. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I want to thank uh, um, our host here, uh, good old boy Barber. Oh, man, thanks for having me. Thanks for everything. Listeners, you guys are awesome. And, you know, like I always say, keep smoking for sure. But, like, you know, help us. Tell us what you think. Give us the like, share, and feedback. Put a comment in there. Let us know how we're doing. If you want to hear us ask a certain question, put it in the comments. Maybe we'll hear your question up on the next chat. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, this is good old boy Mike thanking you uh, to join us for this episode. Go back and check out anything in our back catalog. I will ask you to keep on sipping. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening to us online, do yourself a favor and tap. Just tap.
tap it in. The subscribe button. Give it a little tappy. Tap, tap, tap a -roo. The easiest way to listen to our show is to ask Siri, Alexa, Google, Uncle Larry, or whoever it is that talks to you on your phone. Play podcast Sip, Suds, and Smokes. We love your feedback, and you can reach us at info at sipsudsandsmokes.com. Our tasting notes flow out on Twitter and Instagram with our handle at Sip Suds and Smokes, and our Facebook page is always buzzing with lots of news. You'll also be able to interact with the thousands, millions, and millions of other fans on those social media platforms. Do us a favor. Take the time to rate this episode if you're listening to us online. That's a big help to us, and we get to see your feedback as well. Come back, join us for another episode. And keep on sipping. This has been a one tan hand production of Sip Suds and Smokes, a program devoted to the appreciation of some of the finer slices of life. From the dude in the basement studios, your host, the good old boys, will see you all next time.